in the new year, we're going to be beginning a new series in the New Testament. We finished a, a 50 or 60 part series in the Old Testament. We're going to go back to the new, and we're going to be doing a week by week series in one of the New Testament books. And I was praying about what we should be doing in the next five weeks as we're finishing out this year. And I felt God leading me to speak all five weeks about the coming of Jesus. Now, usually I preach one sermon around about Christmas time about Jesus coming, not because I think Jesus actually came on December 25th, but it's on everybody's minds. We're all thinking about it, and it's a good time to be reminded about his coming. But... um, It's just a single sermon, and it doesn't give me a chance to really get into depth and get organized and really plan uh, how it all fitted together and show you how it all fitted together. And so what I felt God leading me to do was to, to spend all five weeks, and the last week will be a shorter time because it's Christmas Day, but all five weeks just looking at this incredibly important subject of the birth of Jesus, the Son of God coming into the world. And this will give us a chance to really get to grips with this such important subject. And we're going to be, in, in during these next weeks, we're going to be looking at the four Gospels and how each of them has got a different part of the thread and how these map together and fit together in this beautiful tapestry and they all bring their part in. But today, we're going to start way before the first the, the four Gospels. We're going to go way back. We're going to go right back to the beginning of Genesis and we're going to look at prophecies in preparation for Jesus' coming. And we're going to go from Genesis to Malachi, which also right the way through looking at some of the key prophecies. Now, we're not going to look at every single prophecy because someone has calculated that there are at least 300 prophecies about Jesus that were fulfilled. So we're not going to go through every one today. Um, I found a a really good list, uh, but um, I'll show you that in a minute. Uh, We're going to look at um, the preparation of the world for Jesus coming. We're going to look at the prophecies from Genesis to Malachi. And then I want to spend the last time on Isaiah, because Isaiah has got the most amazing, beautiful prophecies that I really want to capture our hearts with before we finish. So I found this, uh, this list of, Jesus, of uh, prophecies, and uh, I'm not going to read these all, but these go right the way through. And I'm going to put this in a link, what I send out about the sermon. But you can see this takes you through the main ones. And it gives you not only the uh, Old Testament reference, but where it's quoted in the New Testament. This, and actually attested, yes, this was actually a prophecy about Jesus. So let's then start by looking at the, the, uh, <clears throat> the preparation of the world for Jesus' coming. The preparation of the world. Um, because God had been preparing this world for the, so just the right moment for his son to come. And uh, if we look in Galatians 4, verse 4, when the fullness of time uh, had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under 
the law. And the kind of preparation there was a, uh, to, re- sorry, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. The kind of preparation was, um, in, as well as physical, was a spiritual preparation that Israel um, were at a time when this seemed to be, from looking at our, our history, looking at archaeology, just an expectation that the Messiah was going to come. It had built up to fever pitch. One group, the Ascends, had actually gone out into the wilderness and they were living there in isolation, waiting because they thought he was going to come to them and they were waiting there for him to come. Other people were, were expecting him. In fact, um, we're going to see there are prophecies about this Messiah being a king in the line of David, him being a prophet like Moses, him being a priest. And some people had figured that, read these prophecies and figured there were going to be three separate messiahs coming, a king messiah, a priest messiah, and a prophet messiah. Um, None of them had thought it would all be in one person, and none of them had even dreamt that it would be God himself who was coming as this messiah. So there was a a prophetic expectation, and also the law had failed. It hadn't produced a holy people. It hadn't produced a people who were after God's own heart. It had produced uh, Pharisees on one hand who were ridiculously over-dressing up the law, and on the other hand, people who just didn't care about it, the the, uh, tax collectors and others in the world at that time. So that was one of the kind of preparations that was going on at that time. But um, another one was the what we call Pax Romana. Pax Romana stands for Roman peace. Wikipedia says, the Pax Romana, Latin for Roman peace, is a roughly 200-year-long time span of Roman history, which is identified as a period and as a golden age of increased as well as sustained peace and order, prosperous stability, hegemonial power, and regional expansion. It is traditionally dated as commencing in 27 BC and concluding in 180 AD. Here was a peace that the world had never seen before, just ready for the kingdom of God to be explode across the globe. Uh, another quote from the same article, the Pax Romana is said to have been a miracle because prior to it, there had never been peace for so many years in a given period of history. So it began 27 years before Jesus was born, just getting ready for him to come. And, uh, and so this peace was just what was needed for the gospel to spread. But there was something else that was quite extraordinary enabling the gospel to spread. Um, the, um, the language was an incredible uniformity of language. Now, of course, every place kept their own local language, but Greek was spoken right across the whole of the empire that was originally built by Alexander the Great. And um, we read... Um, Philip II hired Aristotle, famous philosopher, to tutor Alexander 
at age 14, this is the one who's going to become the ruler of the, this massive empire. In Greek, Hebrew, Babylonian, Latin, rhetoric, and justice. Aristotle taught young Alexander to accept all religions and educated him about the world. Joshua Mark claims, as Alexander traveled, he spread Greek thought and culture in his wake, thus Hellenizing to make Greek in culture and civilization those he conquered. Well, he was... He wasn't particularly successful in bringing Greek culture to Israel, but he did bring the Greek language because that was the language he used for any kind of commerce. Even the Romans used it because everybody could speak some kind of Greek. And uh, if you read, uh, say, John's Gospel, you it's written in Greek, but it's written in a kind of colloquial Hebrew-Greek sort of mix. Um, but... Um, it, nevertheless, it's, it's Greek. It's, it's uh, syntactically correct Greek. Um, and it's the same is true for right across this empire. So why would that be important for the coming of Jesus? Because this was a phenomenal opportunity for the gospel to spread. And so not only was this peace, but there was a language and there was one more thing. Can you guess what the last thing was that was necessary for the gospel to spread? It was, yeah, it was roads. <laughs> and here is actually a Roman road in Syria. This is a picture today of a Roman road built in Syria. And um, they tended to be straight because they were just built new roads. They didn't have to worry about, about um, going around old ways. They, and, they, and they were very well made. And this was an incredible network of roads. There's a red pattern on there covering right the way across from, from um, England down to Africa, right across to Spain, stretching right east through into the Near East and right through into the Middle East. And um, we see uh, this network. In fact, even like in the Netherlands, they've got Roman roads they can see. And so this was a, a safe transportation system, not just roads, but also a, a, a sea connection, a sea network that the gospel could just spread so quickly and so easily. Never before in the world had anything like this being constructed. Why did it happen? Because God was planning everything to be just right for when his son came. So that's, that's uh, my first point, preparation of the world, just briefly to deal with that. And now I would like to get into some prophecies. And well, first of all, we're going to look at general prophecies from Genesis right the way through to Malachi. And then I want to end by focusing on Isaiah. So Genesis 3, the very first mention, the Lord God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So the offspring of the woman, the descendant from Eve, would be Jesus, the one who would fatally crush Satan on the head. And that was the first uh, prophecy that was re that referred to anything referencing Jesus. Uh, going through to Deuteronomy, we're told... The Lord spoke to me, to Moses. They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I commanded him. Now, um, when we look at these prophecies in the Bible, we see that the Psalms 
are, are, have a huge amount of prophecies in there. But there's something unique about the way the prophecies come in the Psalms. They, it's that David wasn't just prophetic. God used David as actually um, somebody whose life in itself was prophetic. He wasn't just didn't, didn't just speak about Jesus, but his life, more than any other single person in the Old Testament, was prophetic of Jesus. He, he went through similar experiences, and he wrote songs about them, and they were the experiences of Jesus. And so when we read some of the Psalms, and I'm going to look at some right now, particularly Psalm 22, we see him writing things that happened to him, but God took those through him prophetically to be like Jesus. Just as he was the king, he defeated Goliath, all of these things in his life. So Psalm 22, a Psalm of David. See if you can spot the prophecies in here. Why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Yeah. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. And they said that, didn't they, when they were looking at Jesus on the cross? Ah, he trusted in God. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot's herd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me down in the dust of death. So part of that is quote, was quoted referring to Jesus. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. Now, as far as we know, David's hands and feet were never literally pierced, but he just felt that's what it felt like to him, and so he wrote this out, and it was prophetic. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Wow. Wow. This is amazing. And then uh, let's look at Psalm 41. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Who does that prophesy? Judas, that's right. Um, The stone the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. And who's that referring to? Jesus, that's right. I've spoken about Jesus. And so then, if we look past that, we see more, and uh, I'm, I'm not going to give you them all because there's so many of them, but Micah has got a number. But O you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. So this is, not only is this, um, this, uh, prophesying Jesus. But if you remember the wise men who we're speaking about in the next few weeks, the wise men figured out together with um, Pharaoh, uh, with uh, Herod's Herod's, uh, scholars, as they looked to prophecies, they figured that they should go to Bethlehem. And um, and, uh, so they actually understood this was speaking of him. Zechariah chapter 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. 
Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And then some other references in Zechariah. In chapter 11, the Messiah will be sold for 30 pieces of silver, and then in 13, that he'll be forsaken by his disciples. And then the last book of the Old Testament, which is Malachi. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So that's a quick look through from Genesis through to Malachi of some of these prophecies. And we rarely get an opportunity to see a whole lot of them together. So I thought it would be interesting for you just to see all of those together and to see how coherent they are and how, like one of them you might dismiss, but when you take them all together, then they are quite strong. But nothing as strong as the ones in Isaiah, which we're going to look at now. So we've looked at preparation, all the things that were got ready for Jesus' coming. We've looked at these prophecies, and now we're going to focus for the rest of our time on Isaiah. So we begin in in Isaiah 7. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. Yes, This was prophesied so long before. And then we have uh, Isaiah 9, as you said. Now he brings honor to the way of the sea, the region beyond Jordan, and Galilee of the nations. So what does it say about Galilee? The people walking in darkness see a bright light. Light shines on those who live in a land of deep darkness. And this verse is quoted when Jesus uh, begins his his, uh, ministry in Galilee. Then um, we're going to jump forward in Isaiah now to part of the book starting in chapter 42, where we have what's called the servant songs. And they're called that because it's my servant, da, 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 describing, and the servant is Jesus. And there are four servant songs. The first is in 42. And these servant songs are the most beautiful and the most precise prophecies of Jesus. And you'll excuse me if I'm moved when I read them, because these are so such precious descriptions of the heart of God in Jesus Christ. And this, in these verses we're going to finish, we're going to land today. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. You might wonder about verse 2, what does that mean? It means like he won't just be screaming and ranting. He's going to be speaking in a calm and measured tones. Um, I'm sure Jesus had to speak fairly loudly on the Sermon on the Mount with 5,000 there. But um, this is what it's talking about. 
This idea of like a bruised reed he won't break, like somebody who's just already a bit damaged and already hurting, Jesus isn't coming to break them. He's coming to look to bring them justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he's established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. And it goes on. Thus saith God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. And he's speaking to Jesus now. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Did Jesus ever free anybody from prison that we know? What he's talking about here is the prison of our souls sitting in darkness and, and hopelessness. And, and literally, he did open the eyes of the blind, but also he speaks about giving, blind, giving sight to the understanding. And so this is the Jesus, then, who won't break the, the, broken, the half-broken. He will take them and bring them into light. Beautiful words. It goes on in this song. I am the Lord, that's my name. My glory I give to no other. Now I praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare before they spring forth. I tell you of them. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that fill it, the coastlands and their inhabitants. And so that's our basis for singing for not just singing the psalms all the time. We sing new songs, don't we? Songs that praise Jesus. Listen to me. Oh, no, we've switched. We've moved on, I should take. Isaiah 49, this is song number two. Listen to me, O coastlands. Give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword, In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. He said to me, you're my servant in Israel, in whom I will be glorified. And then it goes on. He he says, is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light for the nations and that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So in other words, it would be too small a thing just to bring salvation to Israel. I can bring it to the whole earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to, the, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes, and they will prostrate themselves because of the Lord who's faithful, the Holy One of Israel who's chosen you. So he's saying here that this one, Jesus, his holy one, is deeply despised and abhorred by the nation. And this is what we have today, isn't it? We have Jesus who's deeply despised. But it says, actually, we're going to see kings 
um, rulers bowing down before you. And he goes on. Thus says the Lord, in a time of favor, I've answered you. In a day of salvation, I've helped you. I I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desperate heritages. Saying to the prisoners, come out to those who in darkness appear. They shall feed along the way. On all bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching winds nor sun shall strike them, for those who he who has pity on them will lead them, and by springs of water will guide them. That's a little bit like the Lord is my shepherd, isn't it? Psalm 23, looking after these sheep. And then a couple more slides from Isaiah 49. I will make all my mountains a road, and my highway shall be raised up, Behold, these shall come from afar, and behold, these from the north, from the west, from the land of Cyrene. So here, it's not just Israel, it's the whole world they're coming from. Sing forth, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion says, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can you tell me how it goes on? You probably have heard, once I vote, you'll know it. Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. This applies to you. These songs apply to you and what Jesus has come to bring to you. He sees when you're in a prison, when you're a prisoner. He sees when you're broken. He sees the struggles you're in. He sees when you're in darkness. He's come to bring light. He's come to bring joy. He's come to bring justice across the world. He's come to break those forces of darkness that want to hold things back. He's the one who's who these beautiful songs are composed of. One single verse now from the third song. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. And that's quoted about Jesus. And then we're going to go now and we're going to land on the last song, which is Isaiah 53, but it actually begins in Isaiah 52. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. And we read this quoted about Jesus that what they did to him disfigured him with the torture he suffered. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they shall see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. And then we move into chapter 53. And a lot of this, I'm sure, will be familiar to you. And it is so beautiful. I just want to take some time allowing it to sink in. Who has believed what he's heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him, like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. 
He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. There was nothing special about that little boy growing up that anybody would recognize. He was the king of kings and lord of lords. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement, the punishment that, that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. So here you have what the, the basis for us just not have to, having to carry our own sin, that we've just given it to Jesus. We're full of failure. Those of us who are saved are still full of failures. We, 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 we have imperfection in our lives all the time, and we can get dragged down by those. And this tells us, no, Jesus came to carry those. Just give them to him. That's why he came. He delights to carry that on your behalf. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. And there are so many prophecies, I'm not picking them all out, but so many of these things are echoed in Jesus' life and in his final trial and his death. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. And we know that you know, he, this was fulfilled when he was put in the tomb of the wealthy person, although he'd done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He's put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. Who's that? Who's his offspring? Us, that's right. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper his hand. So we are his joy that he's done this for. And now this is the last slide now, the last Two verses we're going to look at today. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. He sees us, his offspring, he's satisfied. By his knowledge shall my, the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he's poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for transgressors. 
So we've looked today at the amazing preparation that God had got the world just ready, both spiritually and physically, for Jesus' coming. We looked at these precise words from Genesis right the way through to Malachi about this one who was going to come. And now we've looked at the heart of what he did, so beautifully described in Isaiah. And if you're listening to this maybe online or you're here right now and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, then this these verses are the perfect invitation to come to him and say, no, I want this. I want him to be the one that takes me out of prison, that gives me light, that heals me and enables me to say, I have no sin because Jesus has carried it all for me. But all of us can say that. All of us can say, who are trusting in him, I'm light. I'm not carrying any of this. It's, it's just shed. The, you may know the, the story of, of Pilgrim's Progress and this, this man, it's pictured as a traveler who comes and discovers salvation and it's like a burden he's carrying on his back. It's a weight he's been carrying all this time. And when he sees what Jesus has done, it just falls off and rolls into a tomb of the tomb of Jesus and his light. So I want you to read these words here in, this, in Isaiah 53 and just be light that Jesus has taken your weight on him. He says he came up, came to bind up the brokenhearted. He came to set the captives free. He came to carry your weight. If there's anything you're carrying right now that you're feeling guilty about, he says, please, would you give that to me? I came that you can have life. I came to give that. And so as we move into the season where we're particularly reflecting on Jesus, remember that his his coming was to bring light and life to those who are in darkness. He's the light who came into the world and allow his light to shine fully in your heart. Allow his joy just to fill you. And the victory that he's made, that he's done, to spring forth in you and give you life. Just enable, just let those words come into you. Take them in and feel what it's like to be enjoying the finished work of Jesus. Let's pray, shall we? Our Lord, we thank you. We praise you for this love that you set upon us. We've done nothing to merit it, Lord. And you saw us in our misery and our brokenness. And you gave yourself, not, 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 um, not in a way that uh, regretting it, but you gave yourself with joy and with pleasure because you love us so much. Lord, we pray that you'll help us in this season to walk in that joy of what you've done for us. We thank you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.